Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I'm Connor O'Gara. Will, how's your weekend? Uh, it's been fantastic, man. Uh, we're just like offline a little bit about just like, wait, hold on, let me try that again. <clears throat> it's been fantastic, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, being at my parents' house has been super relaxing. I've been working really hard um, other than just like the concept of you know, not understanding Wi-Fi or that I need to have it for work. Uh, I'd give it an eight out of 10 other than this very moment. But yeah, it's just, it's always a struggle going back home and just kind of linking back up with your, with your regular life, you know? Yeah. The uh, conversation with your parents over the Wi-Fi situation, why it's shutting down constantly. For those of us that work remotely, you've had these conversations before. I remember having that a few years ago with my mom and being like, I just, I just can't have internet constantly cutting out kind of makes my mm -hmm. job a little bit difficult to do. Um, but yeah, that, that whole dynamic is probably how my second grade teachers felt when they were explaining to me that I couldn't just put random letters in the middle of words and say that, that it spells that it's spelled correctly. So mm -hmm. I, I get it. Um, life is just one big circle, uh, and it comes back around. Yeah. Um, got to this weekend instead of for the first time since August, not either hosting someone or traveling or covering wall-to-wall -wall college football. I was like home on a Saturday without a million things to do. It was weird. It was really weird. I love college you do? football season. It was That's a good question, Will. It's a good question. We had a few errands to run, a few errands mm -hmm. to run, nothing crazy, anything like that. Uh, but yeah, we uh, mostly hung out. Lauren had an event Saturday night that she had to go to. So I was on solo parenting duty. Who would ever put their significant other on solo parenting duty? Uh, couldn't be, couldn't <laughs> be me ever on a on a Saturday. I would never do such a thing. But mm -hmm. yeah, it was a it was a nice little weekend. It was it was very relaxing. So yeah, we we do have a lot to talk about today. Lots to talk about. We have former Mizzou star Sean Weatherspoon. He is going to join us. Excellent conversation with him um, and the things that he's that he's up to. Great perspective on Mizzou as well. Something that he's very dialed into. We're going to have lad of the week as well. But first, we are. I think as crazy as this sounds, a day, by the time people are listening to this, a day away from the early signing period. And Will, the early signing period just is not worth getting that worked up about anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just not. I, I teased this the other day, but um, this is kind of what I mean by that. I, I plan on reacting less than ever to like class rankings, amount of blue chip recruits, amount of top 100 recruits, like blah, like all that stuff. And for the diehards like yourself, I realize that early signing period is a huge day. And there are still a lot of things that on, on Wednesday, I'm very interested in like Dylan Riola, uh, whether Auburn is able to get just every five-star receiver that, that is out there, which looks like they're on their way to doing that. Uh, any potential DJ Lagway drama, although I don't think that's going to happen based on his comments after the unofficial over the weekend. He appears to be locked in, so that might be a nice break for Florida. All those different things. I, I will be dialed in, so I, I'm not saying that I'm just going to totally put it on the back burner. Still a major believer in Stars Matter. Ari Wasserman, trademark pending, I think, on that one. They do, um, but... Stars matter in a different way than they did as recently as five years ago, like four or five years ago. And this entire idea of the early signing period being this end all be all for your roster, like it's well documented. It's just not what it once was. And it's murkier than ever that this time in which you're supposed to be building up your high school recruiting class. I spent Thursday mm -hmm. and Friday, Thursday afternoon, Friday morning 
doing a deep dive on the 2021 and 2022 classes, specifically where they are now as it relates to the transfer portal. So as of Friday afternoon, that was the last time I did one of these. Sage Ryan was the last one that I got in there. Probably missed one over the weekend or something. But here are the numbers based based on where we're at as of as of Friday afternoon. Of the top 100 recruits in the 2021 class, 40 of them have transferred at least once. Okay. Of the top 100 recruits in the 2022 class, 29 of them have transferred at least once. Yep. That is 69 of 200 top 100 recruits in those two combined classes that have transferred. And I went with those two classes because they have both the benefit of the loosened portal restrictions while also being on campus multiple years. I didn't think it was fair to do the, the 2023 class yet because they've only had the one fall. They could still transfer in the spring based on position battles, all those different things. I might have to revisit that in April after that plays out. I, I'll probably do that just to keep a running total of this. So Basically, with the two classes that, that we looked at here, 35% of the top recruits that are two or three years into their college experience, those guys have hit the portal at least once. That's it's a lot. So it's, it's a whole lot. There's more. 23 schools lost at least one top 100 recruit from the 2021 or 2022 classes. 14 schools lost multiple top 100 recruits from those classes. Will, uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot too much here, but do you have any guesses on who lost the most top 100 recruits from those two classes? Don't well, it's got to be someone with a ton of top 100 recruits. So it's either got to be, to me, Georgia or Ohio State. It's not a bad guess, but I think you overthought it. Okay. It's a and <laughs> Sorry, my mistake. I assumed it was like a playing time, like, oh, too many five stars logged in. No, no, it's some dudes got paid to go somewhere they didn't want to go. And they looked up and went, wait a minute, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going to, okay, so Will, Will just was very, very mean to AM fans. I'm going to be nice to AM fans with what I'm about to say, okay? Mm-hmm. So, like, you're, you would, you would hear that and, and hear that. How level of a laugh that Will just Will just threw in there, and you would think A and M is the outlier, and it makes a lot of sense because of what the outside perception is. They brought in this unbelievable amount of talent in the 2022 class, and then mm-hmm. they had the coaching change, all those different things. If you bump this out to not just top 100 recruits, but all four and five star recruits from those classes, 2021 and 2022. Those are for what we will refer to the rest of this podcast. That is what we will call blue chip recruits. If I say you mm-hmm. are a blue chip recruit, that means you are a four or a five star. And I'm just going entirely based 24-7 sports talent composite. So we're not going mm-hmm. like, oh, rival said this and this public uh, on three said that. No, no, no. We're just going based on the, ta- on, on, on the composite here. So if you if you factor that in, Will, AM is actually normal, very normal, and another key area as it relates to the portal. And that's why I wanted to provide some context because you can see some of those raw numbers and you can think to yourself, hmm, that's really bad. That's an indictment of a program. Obviously, they don't want to stay there. The other deep dive I did 
was looking at all 287 blue chip recruits that signed with the SEC in 2021 and 2022. Okay. 287 of them. That's, that's all. I clicked on so many bios. My God. And you know, just, you just have to, because sometimes you're like, Oh, I, I know how this guy's career turned out and, and whatever, but like, you just got to double check every possible thing. So that's 287 recruits that were four or five star rated in those two classes. And how many of those 287 recruits, those blue chip recruits have transferred at least once? 138, Well, 138. So 48% of the blue chip recruits signed in the SEC in that two year stretch have already transferred at least once. That's half, right? Half mm-hmm. of those SEC recruits that, that they signed. And that's why I bring up the AM part of this and why it'll make a little bit more sense and why this isn't going to look quite as bad as what that number just was. Though, obviously, it sucks that AM lost 10 top 100 recruits in that two-year stretch. There, There is a reason why I can't get overly worked up about the early signing period. And that's it right there. It's like knowing, oh, well, this guy might stay and this guy's probably going to leave. And that's like those numbers are probably going to skew even more. I mean, they just are in, in this stage. Unless we get some sort of regulation that comes down and says, nope, this is how we're going to be able to regulate tampering or whatever. I'm not banking on that changing. I'm trying to adapt my approach. So there is the famous blue uh, blue chip ratio that Bud Elliott does, right? Like something that I think is really interesting, is really important. Mm-hmm. There needs to be like a, um, what, what, do you, what do you want to call it? Like a, like a tentacle, uh, some, a spinoff. I, I don't know. Something mm-hmm. that is related to that. Maybe a blue chip departure ratio, which would be worth tracking. Because obviously, as you mentioned, Georgia, Ohio State, like they're probably the teams that are losing the most amount of talent. A lot of people talking about Georgia and, oh, Georgia is losing this five-star and that five-star, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, obviously Georgia's losing more five-star talent than Vandy. Okay. That that is going to happen. But mm-hmm. this is the, the blue chip departure ratio would essentially be like, all right, what percentage of your blue chip recruits are transferring? So I did that breakdown for each SEC school in those two classes. If I'm so glad rate- you did that. I was actually gonna ask you that. I was like trying to like do some quick math because I was like, I don't want to just stick you with the question of like how many of those guys are still today in them. Thank you. I'm gonna shut up and listen now. No, so I'm an I'm a loser. I, I'm I'm an absolute loser. And I thought, okay, if I just present those numbers and I do like a bunch of takeaways off of that, like yeah, you can go a lot of different ways. But this is what I think will be maybe even more interesting and more telling to to communicate the, this point of why the early signing period does not have the same gravitas, the same level of importance that it once did. So mm-hmm. if your blue chip departure rate is a hundred percent, that's bad. That's real bad. That's Vandy. Yeah. Vandy signed four blue chip recruits in those two cycles. All of them hit the portal. Mm-hmm. Basura. Don't like that. Not good. Here is what blue chip departure ratio looks like for each school in the SEC for those 2021, 2022 classes. You do not want a high number here. Like golf, mm-hmm. lower the better. Low percentage means good. Really, really good. We're talking about departure ratio for mm-hmm. your blue chip recruits. So we will start with the the worst and then work our way up to the best. Vandy, dead last, 100%. Mm-hmm. 
Tennessee, mm-hmm. second to worst at 69%. Ole Miss, third to worst at 67%. And then Kentucky at 62%. Florida at 58%. South Carolina at 57%. Your LSU Tigers at 56%. Mississippi State at 55%. Auburn, 50%. Texas A&M, only 49%. There Mizzou, you go. 40, that's, and that's why we add context. Mizzou, mm-hmm. 43%. Georgia, 39%, Arkansas, 33%, and the number one team in the SEC in terms of retaining blue-chip talent is Alabama with a just 27% blue-chip departure ratio. So mm-hmm. that's that, that's relevant, right? Like that That's important for all these different things because, yes, we're going to talk about all the different five stars and top 100 recruits that, that Georgia and Bama are getting. But if they were losing them and if their blue-chip departure ratio was extremely high and if it was in the 60s and 70%, we'd be like, all right, this doesn't really matter. You could argue that Georgia and Bama have more signing day significance because of their ability to retain these blue-chip recruits, all those different things. So that's that that's part of this. The, Wait, the takeaway from follow up. What, what, yeah. what were the number of cycles here? So you said you started with 2021? 2021 and 2022. That's all we looked at. We looked at two cycles. 2023 is still too recent, but I will, again, do that breakdown, I think, in April or May when we have more context of, of guys that enter after at least being on campus for a year. I, I think that's that's fair. Like uh, you could You could look up the numbers now, and I started to, and then I was kind of like, I, I don't think this is – there are going to be a lot of kids that transfer probably as well after going through spring and being like, crap, I'm still third on the I'm third string in the depth chart, and, I've been, and I'm going into my second season. So that's why I want it. I think that, that context is a little bit different as we look at guys that have finished their second and third seasons in college football. Yes, and where I was going with that is coaching turnover, right? So if you are Florida or LSU, you replaced your coach – like the, the coach that the 2021 class committed to is not there, right? So a lot of those guys will just leave because they don't have any existing relationship with a new staff. Whereas if you are in Alabama, if you are in Georgia, right, where you have coaching continuity, there's a whole – because the biggest swaths of guys, as we've seen with A&M, will leave when a coach leaves, right? So A&M was actually probably sitting pretty before Jimbo left because they've just had another, you know – five, six guys hit the portal. So I, I wanted to hit that because you're right about a and I just looked at the talent composite. They were fourth going into the year, actually right behind Ohio State. So one down. So actually it is just they have a lot of talent there. And if Jimbo had been retained, which again, we're not saying that was a great, like that wouldn't be the right move, but they would have even less because now you're talking about coaching turnover. Right. And, and you're actually, so is it's a fair point. And in the number of, I think it was like 37 of the 69 top 100 recruits in those two cycles. If you, if you looked at it nationally, like 37 of them came from places with a coaching change, like mm-hmm. during that, that stretch. So LSU would be included in that Florida would be included in that. Like if you're signing in the, the class of 2021 and you've got a coach that's only been there for two years, that would count as a change technically. So mm-hmm. that, that is definitely part of it. But it's not all of it. Like, oh yeah, it's not just like these numbers are skewed wildly in favor of of coaches that have, that you know obviously have, have departed or, or something like that. It feels magnified, though. It, it does, mm-hmm. and, and we sort of rationalize it a little bit more. I mean, like like Ole Miss is sitting there at sixty seven percent, 
Ole Miss has not had coaching turnover. And as crazy as it is to think about, there are only three coaches in the SEC who have been at their respective jobs longer than Lane Kiffin has been at Ole Miss. I mean, that is bonkers to think about, but they're still sitting there at 67%. We're going to get to the Ole Miss part of this in a second here, because there's obviously a lot of takeaways with what they're doing in the portal, how it relates to high school recruiting. So you look at those numbers, Will, and nine of 14 SEC programs lost at least half of their signed blue chip recruits from the 2021 and 2022 classes. That's that is a really, really high number. Go figure that one of the five that didn't lose at least half of those blue chip recruits is AM. So that was a point that I wanted to get to. But at the mm-hmm. same time, AM is fascinating. It is fascinating because you look back at that 2022 class, and now we have the context of what happened with Jimbo, and that they were never able to quite make it work. And there still are going to be some good players, obviously, from that class. But I wonder. If that's the last time that we are sitting there on signing day, early signing period, saying that that class is a game changer, right? I think mm-hmm. I think that's kind of gone. I, I, I've really, at least in terms of making that evaluation on signing day. And really, when was the last true game changer class in college football where they got that sort of billing on signing day? And it was, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we're part of the movement. You know, like, so I used to talk about that with the Indiana basketball class in 2012. And that was going to be this, this we're, the, we're the movement. We're going to change things. We're going to change the program. It's like, ah, you guys actually aren't. Uh, a lot of you guys aren't going to stay on board. And the class before you was going to end up doing that, but whatever. So, like, when was the last time that we we, we felt like that was a, a realistic billing for, for someone both then and then with the context of, like, actually watching these classes develop and play out like 2013 Ohio state is one that, that felt mm-hmm. like that a bit, at least and it felt like that at the time. And it kind of felt like that after the fact as well with them contributing to that 2014 national championship team, 2013 Ole Miss is another one, right? Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that class will, I like you, you grew up in this in a different way than I did, but when you were seeing tons of, Kindichi, Treadwell, Evan Ingram, these guys commit in that class. Do you remember having your eyebrow raised? Like as an outside fan, a fan within the division, what was your reaction when Hugh Freeze was getting all of his talent in the doors? That's yeah, that's a great question. It's even funnier to look at now, right? Because and we talked about um Bo like like fighting people and that class immediately came to my mind because yeah, it was the fact that they were just these freaks. They were like Alabama players who were playing at Ole Miss. And yeah, the, the answer you're looking for, it was the answer at the time is they're paying these kids. Everybody just immediately thought they're paying these kids. How did Ole Miss get all these guys? And turns out, I mean, they kind of were paying those kids, but who among us? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly though. Like, that class, I, I think, you know, you look at the good with, and, and the bad with it. And obviously the NCAA violations that, that it was part of, you say no. But at the same time, that you got to be a part of a bit of history. And it's mm-hmm. interesting, though, 10 years later, how different the approach is at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is the talk of college football right now. Not because in this week of the early signing period, they're doing unbelievable 2013 like things. It is because, and I realize like they, they only, you know, they, they do have some blue chip recruits in this class. Got five blue chip guys out of high school. Deion Smith, who was at LSU, I believe he started his career at, and it's yeah. a big uh, Juco guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like 
you have that, but we're talking about Ole Miss because of what they're doing in the portal. And instead of adding these blue chip guys that they hope will stick around and turn into all SEC guys, they're just adding all SEC guys. I mean, it's it's crazy the haul. And you're gonna like I'm gonna we're gonna get off this call and I'm gonna check my phone. I'm gonna see that another big time SEC starter has committed to Ole Miss. Juice mm-hmm. Wells, all SEC guy. Princely Uman Mielin, all SEC guy from Florida, probably still butchering his last name, doing my best. Tyler Barron, three-year starter at Tennessee, who I feel like has been there forever. He was there for the Pruitt era, probably yeah. going to be an all SEC guy entering next year. Chris Paul Jr., multi-year starter at Arkansas, probably going to get preseason all SEC consideration as well. Feels like everyone is already tabbing Walter Nolan, the former number two overall recruit in that AM 2022 class to end up at Ole Miss as well. He played like an all-SEC guy before he got hurt against Tennessee and then was not the same type of player down the stretch. So, like, he could be a guy that ends up there. We're not even talking about the guys that they kept, the J.J. Pekis, the Jared Ivey, like these things that they are doing that we're just looking it up at Ole Miss going, oh, my God. Like, even as I was putting this together to Cameron Richardson, crossing Egg Bowl enemy lines, going for Mississippi State's Ole Miss. Like, that was their best corner last year. I was like, who's mm-hmm. going to replace Emmanuel Forbes? Oh, yeah, that's that's probably going to be the best chance that they have to do it, but he's not Emmanuel Forbes. Like, they are accumulating talent through the portal in ways that I, I don't know that we've ever seen an active head coach do it this way. Now, Lincoln Riley, what he was doing a couple years ago, a little bit different at USC when it's like, all right, he's – bringing guys over from Oklahoma. You knew that he was going to be a heavy hitter with all this. And he, like, it was just a little bit different. So I, I do think that the lane part of this is just so unbelievably interesting. He's going to sign another top three portal class. And mm-hmm. nobody is sitting there saying like, oh, this is, this is a tragedy for the, for the sport. And, oh, eyebrows raised. Wait till they get popped for NCAA violations. Because it's different. Like the 2013 mm-hmm. class at Ole Miss – Everybody's talking about how fishy it is. Like, oh, you're going to be on probation at some point. With AM 2022 class, Jimbo getting defensive about sliced bread, took that initial skepticism from people like Lane, and all it did was just pour gasoline on the fire when Saban decides he's going to go on record saying that he thinks the class was bought. Like, we all, I think, if I remember correctly, a year and a half ago said, eventually we're going to get to this place. Eventually, we're going to get to this place where there is this different kind of acceptance and there's this different sort of understanding of what the early signing period is versus what the transfer portal is. And if look, if we're going to be at this place now, you'd better take advantage of that. And Lane is doing that, whether people want to admit it or not. When Lane gets a big time recruit, there is a little and recruit through the transfer portal, I should say, not recruit from the high school level. There's got to be this feeling from opposing fan bases of like, dang, man, got another one. Thought that guy would have fit in our scheme. Thought he would have looked really good in my team's colors. And, man, that was an immediate starter who I thought was going to make an impact for us. And, dang, it just goes to, goes to Ole Miss. I care way more about Lane's portal class than whether Team X flips a couple of four-star recruits on signing day. I just yep. do. Okay. Some of that goes back to my initial thoughts on on recruiting and the people that always just got so into it. And from a macro standpoint, I get it. I remember, like, look, stars matter. I I, I am a believer in that. But even then, I was kind of like, yeah, it's great that this four star is committed to Maryland. But we're about three or four steps away 
from saying, oh, that guy changed how I feel about Maryland. Okay. And maybe Mm -hmm. I'm different because I'm not in the weeds in the way that some of these people are, but because I I do respect the people that cover recruiting for a living. And it is a grind that is different than pretty much anything other than, than I deal with covering this sport. And I love that fans are so dialed in. Many people listening to this are so dialed into recruiting. And I love all of you. I do people that Die hard are the reason that I get up here on a microphone and I don't have to sit here and tell you about our content being behind a paywall. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is something that I take great pride in. I, I love that people care that much. I just think we need to, ta- to change, just tweak even how we talk about recruiting. What is worth getting mm-hmm. excited for? What is not worth getting excited for? So I've got a scale, a, a scale that I think we can just apply. I don't want to call it a compass. That's a little bit too preachy. I know I get a little bit preachy up here. Okay. I do <laughs> happens. Whatever. We love a metric, but I've got a, a scale. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's call, You know what? Well, that's good. Let's, let's call it a metric. Let's just stick with a metric. Okay. So mm-hmm. if your team shows up in a blue chip recruits, top eight recruiting graphic, that should equal from you person listening to this. No excitement. No excitement. Don't don't let it register a thought in your brain. Do not tell yourself, oh, I'm going to do a bunch of Photoshop graphics of this guy playing middle linebacker for my team one day, or oh my God, that guy's going to rush for 2,000 yards. No, no, don't, don't even bother. Don't begin that process. Do not let yourself mentally go to that place. Mm-hmm. If your team lands a verbal commitment from blue chip recruit, that should equal your team shows up and a blue chip recruits top eight recruiting graphic levels of excitement. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. So yep. we're sliding the scale. That's what we're doing. If your team signs a blue chip recruit, that should equal your team lands a verbal commitment from a blue chip recruit in terms of your level of excitement. Right. And that's he signs the current the cycle. Right. So that's, that's because there's so many, you know, some guys are committing in 2025, 26. Now you're talking about now this would be the 2020 four cycle that we're talking about because the 2025 cycle yep. like bryce underwood that guy could end up in you know europe <laughs> things could yeah. be so different yep that he for all he's gonna be playing with the saudis for all i know i have no idea how he's gonna <laughs> literally play out, <laughs> literally I, yes I okay yeah last one because i think this is this is the point where um this is the point where i i find myself paying a lot more attention, getting a lot more involved. But I even think this needs to be tweaked slightly. If your team has a blue chip recruit who plays as a true freshman, this is tough. This is tough to hear because you see that guy get in a game and you're thinking to yourself, man, he's a player. This is why he was a top 50 recruit. This is why this guy is going to be the future of this program. All those different things. I get it. I get it. Treat that like your team signing that blue chip recruit. Mm-hmm. Those levels of excitement because, man, I'm I'm pretty depressed about what the post-spring transfer portal is going to look like for the class of 2023. The ones who have been on campus for a year and will be making that decision whether or not they want to stay or go. And I'm telling you right now, it's great that your guys are getting into a football game. Maybe they're keeping their red shirt. Maybe they're playing more than four games. Whatever the case may be, just tempered okay like now quinchon judkins guy like that steps in you know has more rushing yards than any sec true freshman since guy named herschel walker like all right there are exceptions to every single 
rule that we know Derek Stingley looks like the, the best corner that we've ever seen, at least among true freshmen in college football history, or at least one of them. All right. Mm-hmm. You can get excited. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. But like your guys getting in five, six games, he's a reserve. Just, just temper your excitement, temper your expectations. It is healthier not to get emotionally attached mm-hmm. and to just look at your t- just look at your team's roster with more fluidity that that's i think what needs to happen for a lot of these teams and just treat this kind of like a 50-50 split there's high school recruiting there's portal recruiting personally i would treat it more as like a 75-25 split i'd want to be like hey i care way more about the guys that are going to help my team next year mm-hmm. i would be a lot more emotionally invested into that but at the same time I, like we are human, I think there is something really tantalizing about getting a three-year stud that your coach signed and turned into a star. Like, yep, the Kentucky reference. There, there is a certain level of respect for a Wandell Robinson, somebody we talked about on the show a lot, friend of the show, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, Wandell, he is a Kentucky legend for forever. Even though he only spent one year there, he started his career off at Nebraska. Home State kid, you know, well-documented, part of that 10-win team 2021. But will Wandale and Benny Snell be held in the same regard among Kentucky fans? No way. No yeah. way. Mm-mm. Snell was a three-year guy that Stoops signed out of high school. That guy, because of his personality, because of the fact that he did it for three years there, he was like the overlooked recruit. That guy is going to be whenever, like maybe heat of the moment, it felt like Wandale was in that conversation. But all time, like Kentucky fans are like, oh, Snell, yeah, like that was that was my guy. That was that that was my ride or die. Somebody that that I look back on and just love to be able to root for. Not taking anything from Wanda. There will always be that sense of pride when your guy breaks through from the high school ranks to your college mm-hmm. team and he stays there. Just like in pro sports, even for someone like Drew Brees with with your Saints, right? Brees mm-hmm. sort of felt like he was drafted by the Saints. In, in a way, because of the shoulder stuff, everybody kind of questioning what was going to happen, the Dolphins trade that was, or the Dolphins free agents thing that wasn't, the save and sliding doors, all that. And it helped that Bree spent 15 years there. But you get it. Like, right. there, there is a certain sense of attachment that comes with it. And I'm not saying that you should suddenly stop caring about blue chip recruits who, who stay and turn into studs, but just appreciate them maybe a little bit more. Appreciate them knowing that they probably had a lot of different temptations to be able to leave that players of the previous generation cannot speak of. And above all else, just don't tweet any, at any of them who leave. Just just don't do that. The don't Ever. tweet at recruits era, well, it should be over. It should, oh, don't tweet at players because they might leave, brother. If somebody drops the ball and you add them, they can hit that transfer portal that same day delivery or that transfer portal. <laughs> Dude, Amazon, man, it works in recruiting too. It, it yep. really does. And you don't need Prime to get some of these guys immediately. Like You, you yep. will be amazed at, at what these guys – endure and the fact that they're going through this process that is now so public to be able to make some of these decisions it is just a different type of ball game so i hopefully that puts some of this into context as to why i'm not going to sit here and be like start to finish wednesday nerd out in the same way that i did many years doing this job i mean i remember like i was supposed to meet with my brother in like somewhere in indy for lunch and i was like hey kareem walker i think he's going to commit to michigan like hmm. you should, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna bring my laptop there for the first like 15, 20 minutes. I'm gonna be like working on a story real quick and then we'll be able to talk. We'll be able to catch up. It's just different. It's mm-hmm. just different. There will still be great moments with the early signing period, but 
it is uh, it is entirely changed as a direct result of the portal. Um, yeah, thoughts on any of that, Will? Sorry, I just kind of went off. No, you're good. Yeah, I think that you've identified something pretty cool here, and I, I love the data. I love the you know the ability to retain the blue chips, but then to go get them right. So you know, just as an example, we talk about a place like Clemson. So they were like fifth in the blue chip. Uh, rating going into the season where they're going to get nobody out of the portal right so the highest they'll ever be is at that beginning of that season um which is very interesting and i will say this about lane kiffin and my first thought like lane kiffin's often is with some snark and i saw you know all these guys going and i was like huh are you still broke right and then you know as you're giving this stuff out i start to realize okay actually you get so much more bang for your buck out of the recruiting like out of the portal than you would from recruiting. Because if you think about the process of recruiting, I think the process of recruiting is about to change a ton, right? Because right now how it's set up is if you're going to get a number one player, if you're going to get a number up like top 100, even top 200 player, let's say that you're, okay, we're rebuilding Vanderbilt. Kirby Smart has taken the Vanderbilt job in a different dimension. We're on the staff. We got to do this. What you got to do is be in one of those graphics, right? You got to let him know your name. You got to get his phone number. You got to be on the radar. Right. And then you just got to be a little bit of a hater, which Lane Kiffin is amazing at doing. Right. Maybe do a little tampering, not saying Lane's tampering, not saying Lane's tampering, but I would, I would just be like, Oh wow. No catches for no yards again. That's crazy. Right. And these guys are at their schools, not getting on the field as a freshman. Right. Well, then they enter the portal. Well, we've talked about Clemson doesn't mess with that. We've talked about all these other big schools aren't going to bring in a freshman who used to be a top 200 guy because they got you know 10 of those guys in one room that have already committed to them. So Ohio State's not going to go be fighting with Ole Miss for a top you know 200 guy, right? That's where you can make a lot of hay if you're a guy like Lane Kiffin because you can say, okay, we know this guy can play in the SEC, right? We know this guy can, you know, pass academics. We know this guy can be part of a team in a locker room. He doesn't have off the field concerns. He just isn't getting playing time and he's frustrated. So if you have... Let's just make a hundred dollars just to make it easy. If you have a hundred dollars, right? Back in the day, it used to be you'd spend all of that on recruiting, right? And visits and all that. Well, now if you look at the way that Georgia spends on recruiting with all these visits and all the props and all the staff and all that stuff, you know, Indiana, the football team, is not going to go compete with Georgia on a top one hundred guy because they don't care on that level. They're you know they're more focused on basketball, they're more focused on other things. But suddenly, you know, if a guy leaves, it's like you want to come be the star here. We can give you. Uh, a little bit of NIL money. We can give you, you know, all these different things because you're a number one recruit to us, whereas you were a secondary priority to those other teams. So for A&M, a lot of those guys that left were just kind of, oh, they were between A&M and X. It was a close call. And that's, I, I shouldn't laugh so hard at A&M, but it, it's, it goes to show. I, I, I'm, I realized I was pushing Saban propaganda as you said that, which makes me now more regretful. But that was the take was that everybody was getting paid and they didn't really want to be there, right? And so now you get the check, you you get the experience. And like for the Vandy guys, great example. I'm sure they did the honorable thing their parents wanted them to do. I, I go get an education, son, go do that. Okay, we tried it that way. We tried it that way. Now let's go play at Alabama and go win. You know what I'm saying? Like the offensive lineman did. So point being, you have the deck completely resets after the transfer portal because you've already seen the underbelly of college football's recruit. You know coaches lie to you. You know coaches leave. You know coaches recruit guys over you. You know coaches will get guys out of the transfer portal to 
play over you, right? So if you're Lane Kiffin, that's his exact style of communication. It's no BS. It's, it's I'm going to come talk to you. We're going to have a real conversation about, hey, you know what, Ole Miss, you got a chance to do this. You got a chance to do that. You want to get to the NFL or you want to make your family taken care of or you want to be a baller, all SEC guy. I need players. Here is our communication. Not, oh, I'm going to go recruit this kid. That's the other thing. Spending the resources from the time these kids are 14. I mean, if Nick Saban's been recruiting a kid since the time he's 14 and you're Lane Kiffin and, like you said, you're one of the longest tenured SEC coaches, but you have known this kid since he was 14, right? You, you've been in there the last couple of years saying, look at the 10-win seasons. Look what we've done with our quarterbacks. Look at Corral, Dart, all these guys. But you don't get to say, hey, buddy, we won the Heisman in 2009. You know, you you have started in a hole when you recruit from the middle and high school level against these Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, these type of guys. Um, so point being, now after that decision is made, now we're, we're forced to be real, which is something that athletes and coaches don't like to do. They're forced – to be real towards each other and say, what do you need? What do you want? What do I need? What do I want? Not, you know, your son's going to come here and it's going to change his life and it's going to be forever and he's never going to go anywhere else. We're going to take care of him and da, da, da. Okay, well, now he's eighth on the depth chart and he's not having any fun and he's missing home. Okay, guess what? Here's what we are. We're near to your home. We're in the middle of the SEC country. We're all miss, right? We play in a fun offense. We have lots of fun over here. That's a fact. You get playtime. We're near your family. It's fun. That's all we care about now. It's not about Herschel Walker and what he did. It's not about, you know, guys back in the 50s and 60s. It's about you today. How can you help our team? And like you said, I think that's so much more impactful because you look at Jaden Daniels, Joe Burrow, like all the guys at the Heisman that are transfer guys. Like, it's funny because you said, oh, you know, there probably won't be that guy that changes Maryland. And I'm laughing. I go, oh, yeah, it's kind of a bad example because Tolly is there. Well, he's a transfer. I forgot he was in Alabama for a year. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, great example, it's like you can get a guy like Jordan Travis for three, four years to completely change your program if you want to take a chance on him. But it's it's a whole different phase of recruiting. I, I would predict that in, you know, a couple of years, there's going to be a recruiting coordinator. And within that, there's going to be a transfer portal coordinator because your pitch over here is completely different. You don't have to win over mom and dad as much and talk about the lifestyle and where you're going to be four years from now. You got to talk about, I'm going to get you stats. I'm going to get you eyeballs. I'm going to get you paid. And guys like Lane Kiffin love talking like that. They love talking about measurables, you know, how to have fun, how to look cool, how to do all that stuff. That real like primal uh, base level stuff matters a lot more than the made up, you know, program stuff. I agree. And if you are skeptical of what Lane has done, and if Lane isn't your favorite person, you're looking at this maybe still with an eyebrow raise, but I would, to your point, say, well, Lane is communicating in a very effective way right now to get mm-hmm. to this place. There is no doubt about it whatsoever. And I think that there is something to be said for saying, like, look, I, I am going to be able to understand how to speak to these kids that have already had some sort of college experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And not everybody's had the same college experience. And there are going to be cases in which you're like, man, I thought that guy was going to be a hit. I remember talking about Zachary Franklin, like he was going to be a big hit in the portal. The guy that got the UTSA, it was this prolific receiver at the group of five level. And that ended up just not working out. You know, who did work out was Trey Harris. They just got mm-hmm. from Louisiana tech. And it was like Lane clearly put that guy into a spot right away and said, look, I'm not, we're, we're going to figure out if you can play at the sec level. Caden Prescorn, That's another one for, for Ole Miss. This guy who steps in as a tight end from Memphis, and once he starts playing, and then Michael Trigg, that whole thing happens where 
he has the two lane moment. And then after that, I, I don't know how much of a direct result that was Priestcorn playing the way that he did. And then it was kind of like, well, this guy is awesome as a run blocker and we're so much better as a running offense with him. But mm-hmm. you can do these things where like it, it almost feels like because of how blunt Lane is as a communicator that he is set up even better for this to recruit the portal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean he's going to be the best at recruiting the portal forever. And I think that there are certain coaches that if they do shift their priority, like if Saban ever decides, you know what, eh, I'd rather kind of build my roster this way. I would almost feel more comfortable with having these guys that are essentially on like one year contracts. I put that in air quotes. We're not, it's not officially a contract. It's because we're not employees, mm-hmm. whatever you get what I'm saying. But there are certain guys like that where I feel they would still be extremely good at recruiting and assessing roster needs that way. Saban doesn't have to, okay? Mm-hmm. Saban at this point can pick and choose. Kirby, same thing. Those guys are in positions where they can still put a lot of their eggs in that high school recruiting basket. And that is perfectly fine because if you're winning at that level, I'm not going to tell you you need to change the wheel. If you are doing it in the Dabo way and you see that your program has fallen off and you're not willing to address the portal, obviously that's something that we've talked about. You're not adapting. You're dying. You're Mm -hmm. just, well, you're just dying. So it is interesting because I don't think that everybody is in the exact same spot. I don't think even Kentucky and Ole Miss are in the exact same spot, despite the fact that I think they have really similar aspirations with roster building currently. But it is very, it's, it's going to be very interesting looking at this and how this tracks through the 2020s. We'll wait and see if we have more federal legislation on how these athletes are treated, what can be considered above board to be paid for, what's not, and what is considered, hey, just go out and get it. It's capitalism at its finest. It's still the wild, wild west. Will we still be talking about the portal that way in the year 2028? I don't know. I can't give you that answer. All we know is that for right now, with the lack of restrictions that are in place, yes, there are probably going to be more benefits to recruiting the portal than there are to recruiting at the high school level and hoping and praying that some of these guys can turn into all conference type players. So I think that that's something that should just be remembered. Just be remembered. And if you're having a really good day on Wednesday, bring yourself back down. If you're having a really bad day on Wednesday and you're like, oh, we got this kid has gone, that kid's gone. Just just remember, there's a lot more that goes into this than just what that signing class ranking looks like now. And that is how the sport has drastically changed. Yep. At 100%. And, and I'll say this too, like being from – like, you know, all these changes to college football, I've like, and I texted you this the other day, I've completely changed my mindset, which is that like, hey, I was worried about all these different things for the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the group of five, as a college football fan. Now I'm starting to be like, you know what, man, my team is in the SEC. <laughs> like, they're going to be good. And that's kind of as SEC fans, if your school properly prioritizes football, which is pretty much everybody but Vandy, right? At this point, it's like you, and just to say, don't get your hopes up if you're Vandy, right? I mean, come on, when you guys start caring, then then it'll start working. And we've seen Vandy be successful in our lifetime. It's not impossible. You just got to care. But point being, you know, our teams all care and all, they all have enough money to at least get someone out of the portal. And here's a really important part of this I'm realizing. They're all from, yeah, pretty much 80% of the SEC are, very fertile recruiting grounds, right? Talking about Texas, Florida, 
Georgia, Louisiana, you know what I'm saying? And these places, you know, we've seen all these crazy amount of UL transfers do well, you know, across the SEC. We've seen guys from Florida that are three stars that go play at some random school and then come back and they end up at a bigger school. And so the schools that are set up are set up better than ever because we've seen LSU get a bunch of guys from the portal that were in-state recruits that went somewhere else. And you'll probably see this more in a Florida or a Georgia where they end up at Clemson, Ohio State, out west. And then they look around and they go, wait a minute. I've already gotten my check or whatever. All the promises are starting to not come through. I want to, I miss my family. I want to go home. I, and, and when that happens, then now, you know, it was this big embarrassment. If you're an LSU fan, you don't get the in-state guy. Well, Denver Harris is now on the team. Now, is he playing? No, but he's on the roster. And that's what's important. <laughs> we would love to have Denver Harris on the field, but having him on the roster is the next best option. And so point being, all these guys, Brian Kelly is getting back are, Guys from U High that wanted to get away from home realized they didn't like it, you know? And so being specific about what you want in the portal. Think about the point about Priestcorn versus Trig is such a good one. We need a run-blocking tight end. Suddenly, all the stars for Trig don't matter because he can't run block. You know what I'm saying? We want this type of guy. Oh, well, let's look around. Let's look who's from here. Let's look who's from here playing at Arkansas State, balling out there. Let's see if we could, you know, make a connection, figure it out. So I think not only just having the money, having the care, having the resources, having the conference and the TV deal, but also being from these places that are football hotbeds, more and more guys are starting to come home because once they've made their hay somewhere else, now they have the ability. The guy that's coming to um, LSU, the Mississippi State player, didn't get an offer now because Brian Kelly was transitioning and, and just didn't have the time to get around to it because he was trying to land Walker Howard and stuff, but didn't get an offer from LSU. Wanted to play. That was a dream school. Boom. Now he can live his dream and say what you will about that. It sounds dirty, whatever. If that guy's dream was to play at LSU and LSU wants him, he should be able to do that. And that's awesome. And it works for everyone. Not as much for like the schools, but if you're an SEC guy, you're not cheering for a feeder school. You're not. You're going to cheer up, cheer for Kentucky where you're getting guys from all over the, the country up north, out east, just to come play in the SEC. And it's awesome. Three three star guy spends two three years in Group of Five strength and conditioning program. All of a sudden, that guy looks way different than he did as a recruit. And instead mm-hmm. of being like, "Oh, we had to take a chance on this in-state kid and like roll the dice on him," you didn't have to use your resources. And instead, mm-hmm. you go out and you say, "Yep, uh, we're going to bring that guy on board." And that's just a, a very a very twenty twenties way to build a roster now. And that is kind of what a lot of these coaches, even the coaches who are kind of like, yeah, we need restrictions over the portal. We need to do this. They're not mm-hmm. going to be as portal reliant. They can still look at that and see it as a, a, a way that it can benefit their team. And I think it, it, it will continue to do that. And I'm, I'm in support of that is, and it's okay to feel conflicted about this as well. I'm not saying that you have to feel like the portal mm-hmm. is the best thing since ironically enough, sliced bread. But I do think that there is a certain bit of acceptance that, that just has to come with it. At, at this point. And if you're resisting and, it, like you're, you're going to lose that battle. Yep. And let me say one thing too. It's, you know, we were really like um, really big on the talent composite and talent wins and that you're right. That's how it used to be. And I'll say now it's more about talent evaluation. Okay. It's about what do we have on the yep. roster? Let's take an honest look at ourselves. Do we need a quarterback? Do we need to go get competition to get our quarterback better? What level of transfer quarterback do we need to get? You know, if you're LSU and you have Nussmeyer, maybe you don't go after the guy from NC State or, or you don't push him very hard because that would make Nuss leave. Maybe you go for an AJ Swan and say, okay, well, maybe this would be a battle if we do get AJ Swan. So that type of stuff where it's talent evaluation, where for 
none of this stuff is happening. These are just things that have been talked about. I'm not reporting anything here, obviously, but it's like for LSU, if they were to end up with Swan, which they're likely not at this point, then it's okay. Well, now we have a battle. Okay. That's a different conversation. Then we're going to go bring in Jaden Daniels, right? It's, it's different from that. And, and keeping your guys on saying, we think we know what we have with this guy, but we're not sure we want some, we want some, um, uh, 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 like insurance policy, that's a completely different pitch out of the portal than you're giving like a Vandergriff, where it's like, dude, get down here. You're gonna, we're gonna treat you like a five star. You're the dude. You know what I'm saying? It is different, entirely different. I think guys seek that transparency, and you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it works out for everybody, and it doesn't mean that every promise is granted, but it, it does give guys a, a better chance to just, just lift their head up. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's all these guys need to be able to succeed, and. Hopefully that'll put guys in better spots moving forward. All right, let's kick it to Sean Weatherspoon, one of those guys that I had never talked to. And by the end of the conversation, I felt like I had known him for 10 years. Great, great dude. I love what he's doing with his new venture. So here is Sean. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is former Mizzou star Sean Weatherspoon. Sean is now co-owner of Legacy Sports Complex in suburban Atlanta, along with some other Former Falcons, Muhammad Sanu is involved, Christian Blake, Elijah Wilkinson. This is a 15,000 square foot facility that offers group, private, semi-private training for all athletes uh, of all shapes and sizes. I mean, it's kind of crazy the amount of things that you guys offer with football, wrestling, lacrosse, baseball, softball, soccer, adult boot camp. I mean, you, I know you're trying to get basketball as part of it as well. I'm just a 33-year-old guy who likes sports and even I'm like reading this going, this, this sounds like a place I would want to spend all my time. Uh, before we get to some Mizzou things, some career things with you, tell me about kind of why you wanted in on Legacy Sports Complex. Well, um, you know, first and foremost, um, I'm all about positivity, all about giving back. And, um, you know, this, this is a community that's given me a lot and I still live here, you know, so it's on, it almost makes sense. I have young kids that are, I have an eight-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old son four-year-old daughter and an eight-month-old boy and they're going to be in the gym and that's I think we kind of lose that in the community today when I was little you could just see where everybody's bikes were and that's where everybody was getting their training at if that was video games they were in in the house about to get kicked out to go in the field and play some football some baseball kickball basketball I mean we just we just figured out a way to get after it but I think these days it's a little bit more you need to be a little bit more detailed and so if you can get the kids going at a young age and in a community where it's about competition and, and getting better, I think it's, it's, it's just going to help them. And so that's what made sense for me, man. Um, being around great people like Muhammad, Dustin, Shavanik, um, Christian Blake. I haven't met Elijah yet, but he's on board. Johnny, Johnny Venters, um, former all-star baseball player for the Braves here. Um, we got a few, few good guys that, you know, want to do something special, want to see the kids grow and have an opportunity the way we had an opportunity and as well as sports, you get a chance to learn how to be good teammates, be good people and just be around good people. I think when you think of specialized or private, semi-private training, a lot of people assume that means specializing in specific sports and you, I know you grew up playing a bunch of different sports, even into high school. This is kind of like the, the blending of those two things and getting kids that want to play a lot of other things and you guys offer expertise on, on a lot of those different things. What are your kind of your thoughts on, on that overall and having kids that do have seasonal activities and it's not just, Oh, I'm going to play football 365 days a year, or baseball 365 days a year, whatever it is. And having kids get that all around experience. Well, I think it's awesome. And like when I mentioned the group, you know, it's an eclectic group. Um, you know, 
Dustin, he's he's done MMA gyms for years. Um, Johnny, I mean, his expertise in baseball, myself, Muhammad, Christian in football, Elijah, um, we're outsourcing people to come in and do things that we don't necessarily, you know, know. And, and that's going to be, you know, something that the kids can be introduced to different things, not just football, not just basketball. You know, they might we have we offer classes in wrestling. We have we offer classes in tumbling um, for cheerleaders and gymnastics. I mean, um, it, it just goes, you know, it expands across across a, a wide wavelength. And I think that's something that's going to make the kids a little bit more well-rounded in their athleticism. And, you know, we're not just going to focus on the athleticism part of it because you're going to have to be a good person if you're going to be in Legacy Sports Complex. And we're um, we're going to keep that standard up. Let's talk a little Mizzou for the YouTube audience. You can see uh, Sean is rocking a fire Mizzou hoodie. That thing is that thing is absolutely sweet. I love that. But shout, out, little... shout out to Truman and my guys at Mizzou for getting me laced up. I, I love it, man. That that logo, it's it's sweet. I, I gotta think that for for guys like you, a season like this is so fun because you're in locker rooms where so many of those guys, you know, it's like it's Alabama, it's Ohio State, it's Georgia, and those guys are just flexing all the time. Did you clap back a little bit extra this year? I know you don't have a locker room to go to anymore, but mm-hmm. did you clap back a little bit extra, kind of like Drink was doing pretty much the whole season? <laughs> I was standing on business just like Drink. So um, the head coach at Tennessee, I wouldn't even say his name. <laughs> I like him too. He's a Mizzou guy as well. He was our coordinator a few years ago. But, um, man, it was just a, it's just been a great ride this year to be able to put your hoodie on and be, you know, represent your alma mater and, you definitely got to clap back, man, because trust me, these people kick you when you're down. Did you see those preseason rankings? I think Missouri was about 13th, I want to say, in the, in the conference. And that, to me, you know, maybe that was something that they, you know, they thought was going to be our season. But just knowing a little bit about the program and a little bit about drink and the type of players we've been picking up here lately, you know, you, you've obviously got a feeling that, you know, these guys are, are some players and they're going to be some guys that you're going to see not only be successful in the SEC, but they're going to move on to the next level as well. And I mean, it's been a great year, man. I got a chance to go to a couple of games, took my son out to Mizzou for the LSU game. Of course, the Heisman Trophy, um, you know, um, winner would, would give us hell and kick our butt a little bit. But we, we played well that game, played well enough to win that game at home. Then I went out between the hedges. And so the two games I went to, oh, no. we haven't won. But um, I tell you what, I had a great time watching TV and I'm um, celebrating those Tigers wins with my babies. Got a couple guys that played at, um, um, throughout the SEC that I chat with and some guys that I play with here in Atlanta. We we still keep in touch. So the group chat, I've definitely been, um, you know, sticking my chest out in the group chat. <laughs> I don't blame you one bit. Look, I, I was one of those people. I, I was a doubter. I had Mizzou at 6-6 six and six coming into the year. And at the same time, I, I looked at this team and what they did last year by bringing in Blake Baker and seeing how different that defense looked, especially against the run. And it just felt like guys were in such better spots to, to succeed. Can you explain kind of why scheme matters and why it doesn't necessarily have to just come down to, to talent level on that side of the ball? And, and it can turn around a group that quickly when they bring in the right defensive coordinator and know where exactly guys need to be lined up? Uh, it's, I mean, it's very important, you know, to have the type of guys that you want to run your scheme, but to get the guys comfortable with your scheme. And you can see later on in the season when we had our injuries on defense, we didn't miss a beat. And we're missing Hopper, who's probably a first round pick. And the other one, and also Bailey, who went out earlier than that. We're missing those guys. And the other guys who came in to fill in were guys that were, you know, 
being they're in the right spot. They were getting people lined up and they were out there attacking the football, man. And you could just see it's a different brand. When kids know what they're going to do, they know what to do. They can go out there and play fast. So you maybe not, maybe you don't know this guy's name, but um, yeah, if you watch him play this week, I'm pretty sure you'll see a couple splash plays. Then the next week, you'll see it again. And you know, this isn't a fluke. And we're missing some of our best guys. Enos Rakestraw missed quite a bit of time. And, you know, Chris, um, I, I, I messed up his name. I don't want to mess it up. But number seven, our All-American nickel and cornerback. Abram Strain, yeah. Yeah. That's how you say it. Man, the kid played his tail off. was one of our best tacklers, as well as doing a good job of getting the ball out. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't know these guys. But, hey. Turn on the tape. You turn on the tape, and they stick out. And I think that's a testament to Drinkwich getting the right defensive coordinator in here, as well as playing complementary football with the offense because the offense did a great job as well running that football. When you can run that football in that CC, and you can play good defense, you'll be in a good situation. Yeah, as much as this team kind of came out of nowhere and everybody talks about talent level, I think it's going to be one of those teams that we look back on five years from now and we're like, oh, that guy's in the NFL. Oh, that guy's in the NFL. And, and on both sides of the ball, I, I think that there are NFL players just kind of all over the place in, in that mm-hmm. group, and that might be surprising to people that haven't paid as close of attention. What's your unbiased prediction for the bowl game against Ohio State? And you know, all year, um, you know, talking about Missouri's ranking, talking about Georgia's ranking, Alabama. That was me and my seven-year-old son's talk. He's like, Dad, um, what do we rank? Um, what's Georgia? What's Alabama? What's LSU? Like, he wanted to know. Once I took him to Mizzou to see that game this year, LSU, he was just all about the college football rankings. And I say that to say there was always one other team that he would always talk about. And it was the team that we're going to play in the Cotton Bowl because he'd always say, Ohio State. Ohio State, it was almost like they were part of the SEC. <laughs> but, you know, they're not, obviously, but their ranking was just at the top. And he kept seeing Ohio State. His best friend is Muhammad Sanu's son. We, we They call him MJ. And MJ's from Ohio. Obviously, Muhammad played there. And um, so Ohio State's been on our radar. This is a game that we have to go into with the right mindset throughout the bowl practices to simulate the looks that we're going to get. But we know that it's going to be a battle of defenses. Um, You know, their defense has been – solid solid for years for years man you could just put on the tape and you got six or seven guys that are going to be you know in the first three rounds of the draft they, they've been more like an sec north team <laughs> if you want to say but um man i think it's a great matchup for us because it gives us a chance to show the world that you know i mean it's not like the big 10 is better than sec but the big 10 is a premier conference top five um i want to give them their respect but we've we've been against the guys all year long and it um Shoot, man, we put up great, great results against everyone. We moved the ball against everyone. Uh, we never really just got our butts kicked. You know, we had some tough, tough games, but we never really just went out there and, and laid an egg. So I got to expect us to go down to Dallas and, um, you know, pick up some nice recruits in the in the DFW area because we're going to go out and put on a show, man. And best of luck to Ohio State. I know they're going to come prepared, but um, I think the Tigers are going to be excited. This is a big bowl game. It's the biggest bowl game we've had in years. I played in this bowl game. In 2008. So I'm super excited to go and check out my Tigers and meet up with some of the guys. My boy Macklin just went into the College Football Hall of Fame. It'll be a good time for the guys to get together and celebrate him as well. And hopefully we'll get a win. You talk about Mizzou having a little bit of recruiting success in Texas. It's kind of crazy. The unheralded guys, yourself included, who mm-hmm. have been just plucked out of that state. A uh, Nick Bolton, a Chase Daniel, Michael Sam, like you, like all these guys that you're just like, where do these guys come from? Like, how do they how do they get overlooked? What what do you remember about going through that process and in being this unheralded two star recruit? Even though you did all these things 
that suggested you shouldn't have been a two-star mm-hmm. recruit as like a multi-sport type guy. But mm-hmm. what do you remember about going through that process and why Mizzou stood out to you? Wow, man. When you talk about that, we got to go back to 05. Um, you know, being a contributor on a on a the class of 05, my high school team was one of the best classes that my high school has seen. My class is 06. And so we made state for that 05 fall. And man, it was um it was a tough go for us, man. We lost the state championship game, lost a lot of guys. And then we come, we're coming back that senior year. And Hurricane Rita came through Jasper, Texas, um, and just kind of tore it apart, man. So we left home for like a month and a half, didn't know if we'd even resume our football activities. And when we went back to Jasper, our whole town was operating on generators because wow. the, the trees the trees were down, the, the lines were down. It was something serious, man. We played two games a week, one game on Tuesday, one game on Saturday both daytime games at this time my recruiting trail is kind of taking a hit because my family is running all over texas trying to figure out you know where we can be safe and so some reason man matt eberflus shout out to e i think he got him a win this weekend you know he's been he's been having a little rough go but i'll tell you what that guy is a detail guy he's a defensive guy and um you know he he came to my parents house um and sat there with that salt shaker and that and that pepper shaker, and we talked about a little bit, you know, the cover two defense that that um I think Rod Marinelli was running um with the Bears, ironically. And he's like, This is Erlacher. We have a middle linebacker, his name is Brock Christopher, good player, and you're gonna be this guy. And that was Lance Briggs. And um, so I'm I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be the will, and we're going through that, and it just felt like a great fit for me. And like I said, man, my phone was kind of cold during that time, so it was, a, it was a great opportunity for me to keep connecting with Mizzou. And they always connected on a strength of, you know, more than just football. It was about my parents. It was about what I was doing with my other sports. They wanted to know about me. And it didn't seem like I was just a quota for their recruiting class. And so, um, man, here I am, a two-star recruit. I get to campus for 707. And um, there's a few other guys from Texas that just didn't get a lot of love. One guy named Denario Alexander, one of my best friends, his name's really stand out because, I mean, he threw up 1,800 yards. His, his last year at Missouri, yeah, playing receiver. So we had some guys that kind of just grew into, you know, what they were already were. But, you know, Missouri just cultivated us a little bit better. And I think it was just the right situation. Big 12 football was very exciting at the time. And, um, you know, it was a place that, you know, we had been watching that growing up in Texas. You know, they said, hey, we like you, but uh, I don't know. Um, Texas A&M, they said, ah, we think we're going to go with some JUCO guys that are coming. I don't know, you know, so I went to junior day at some of these programs and hung around and just didn't feel like I was a part of their plans. Houston was the place where Art Browse was and that I felt really comfortable going to, but Missouri was my first visit. I I had a soft verbal to Houston. I took my visit. Art just kind of laid into Mizzou and me a little bit, and I was like, oh, this is not the type of vibe I want because Coach Pinkle was like, go see. Go see what you want to see. He's like, you're a Big 12 guy. You know, he just say something so simple like that. And I always thought that, you know, Coach Pinkle didn't come to my house. When I, I took my visit, I got a chance to, to speak with him. And that that pissed me off that he didn't come to my house. So <laughs> when I went to school, man, I was ready to go. And uh, Macklin was our number one recruit. We're best friends now. But I was like, man, this guy's arrogant. This guy's, you know, he turned out Oklahoma to come to Missouri. He thinks he's the the you-know-what. And, and he was the you-know-what. <laughs> and we um we all just became the best of friends. And, man, we competed. And there was a guy named Kevin Rutland who played corner at Missouri. He was a corner in nickel. He's from Houston as well. He's from North Shore. So his pedigree is, I mean, North Shore, they they just made their sixth straight championship. So <laughs> I don't know if I lost you there. Oh, it just went out. But um, Kevin was the kid that, he's the only kid from Texas that didn't come to Missouri's summer program. 
He's like, man, I'm I'm gonna enjoy my last summer in Texas and vibe and chill. And so he was kind of nonchalant, played quarterback, ended up red shirting him, and he ended up being our our best friend and one of our roommates. And I promise you, my whole house went to the NFL because we just we cared that much, man. We wanted to win. We ended up being the winningest, you know, Missouri program, and of course, the next class after us, the next class after them, um, and it was just something that was contagious, man. But we had a lot of guys that nobody really, you know, talked about that went out there with a chip on their shoulder and 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 put on for their state as well as the name on the front of their jersey in Missouri as well. It's incredible because you know everybody always assumes that when you get to that level and you play Power Five football, that you just have all these unlimited options and, and you hear like hearing you explain your situation. I bet there are a lot of moments in which you're like, I don't know that I'm going to be doing this at the college level. I, I feel like I have the ability, but what are mm-hmm. they seeing that, that I'm not necessarily, or, you know, what's, what's preventing them from, from stepping forward and saying, no, you're going to be a guy, you're going to be that stud. Is there a school that you were most salty about? Cause I know you bring up the Houston, our Bryles thing, but is there like, you know, between the Texas, Texas A&M, like, like you just talked about, is there one of those schools that over the course of your career, you said to yourself, every time they show up, I'm going to make them realize that they made a mistake by passing me up. It was more so the coaches that were recruiting me because I would have a coach and he'd be like, man, I love you. But uh, like Bradley, Bradley Dale Pivotal. Um, he was linebacker coach, defensive coordinator at LSU. He, he, you know, coached with Bo, Bo Pelini, coached under Les Miles. Um, he, he would say, "I got to get you out here and run around, see if Les will pull the trigger." And so it seemed like when I got to LSU, went to their camp. You know, that's a little, little um, east of where I'm from. I get out there, shoot, I make the MVP team at the camp. I'm thinking, man, I did everything I was supposed to do. Like, oh, you're a little small. Texas showed up at my at my um seven oh seven practices. They were like, uh, we already got we already got three linebackers. We got signed up. Yeah, and you're small. You know, everybody just kept saying you're small. And then they were so disrespectful. I went to junior day. They didn't speak to me almost. And then here I here it is. Like Dennis Franchione was the coach then. And I think um I got a they might have called on signing day, seeing if they could, you know, get me in there. But um man, when I played Texas, I had my best game at Missouri. You know, I, I probably had like. 17 tackles. I had a sack. I had a pick. And, and you know, Mac Brown came up to me after the game. He said, I just I just don't know how we let you slide by. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, that was the validation I needed at the time. Even though they kicked our bus that night, man, I had my best game. And it was homecoming. And my family was in town. It was a great time. But every time that I, I would, you know, face those coaches or it would, it would be those teams that pop up, I would definitely be a little bit more amped up. And sometimes that's tough. You know, it gets you kind of out of your game sometimes. But, I mean, I, I did have some of my best games against a some of my best games against Texas. So, you know, I got to say that they helped me in some way. Okay, so I hate to bring up bad memories, but. <laughs> no, Oklahoma. No. Uh, all right, we got we to talk about this. Because the 2007 season, it, it's crazy. It's well documented how crazy it was. It's kind of the. Like the, oh, is this season about to be 2007? Like we ask it every time there's this craziness because everybody remembers just how wild it was. And the fact that you guys at Mizzou are sitting there, number one in the country going into conference championship weekend, Mm -hmm. just knowing, all right, we just beat Kansas. All we've got to do is just beat Oklahoma. That's it. If we beat Oklahoma, we're playing for a national championship. Mm -hmm. How sick to this day are you about that? Especially hearing now about the LSU side about them overlooking you and them getting into the national championship as a two-loss mm-hmm. team? Oh, it was tough. It was tough, man. I look at that, and I'm like, are you kidding me? We beat Illinois, and we beat Kansas. 
both of those teams played in BCS bowl games. I want to say Kansas beat Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl. And I might, I think USC might have got after Illinois. I got to give them, I got to give USC their just due. But um, we were the only team who beat two BCS teams that didn't make a BCS bowl. So that was kind of rough. We we knew that, um, you know, our destiny was in our hands. But we just did not think that we would not get a big bowl game, you know. And we ended up getting the Cotton Bowl, which was awesome. But man, we were we were so we were so amped up to go to San Antonio and play against um, Oklahoma because they had already beaten us in the regular season, and it was a one it was like a one score game. Like we, it was tight, man. We we needed to make one play. They made it. We didn't, right? And so when we made the championship game, we were just revved up. But I think in the beginning of the season, when we talked about our goals. We knew that we couldn't, um, you know, we were coming off. This is our first year being, like, a top team. Like, we had a team in 05. They're, like, preseason ranked. Um, but the 06 Missouri team, I think we finished 8-5. No, I'm sorry, maybe 8-4. So we're pretty good. You know, we got Chase Daniels, so I know we're going to get better. Um, he's the type – he's the guy that kind of, you know, you, you're like, okay, Chase is going to Mizzou. We saw what he did. I'm a Texas kid. I know, okay, we're going to win some games. We got to go up there and play some defense, right? And so here we are, bro getting the opportunity going to San Antonio to play against OU. And I'm thinking, we got this one. And we come out, we, we're playing pretty good. But we, we, I think we got a little too cute in the game. You know, we kind of tried some little trick plays here, trick plays there. And really, we probably should have just did what we did. Because if you look at our guys that stand on two feet and you look at their guys that stand on two feet, we we were um, we had the superior edge there. Now, when you talk about the defensive line and the offensive line, their trenches were just a little bit too much for us to match. And so they, they ran that counter. And they got after us. It was similar to being on Atlanta's team in the second half of that 2012 NFC Championship game versus the 49ers where they just, you know, they ran the power second half. They didn't get any big runs. They ran the power, controlled the clock, and came back. And so I don't think we ever got up on them. But I remember the time it was 17-17. And you're thinking, okay, this game should be a good game. And I don't think we scored after that, man. So that was tough, man. And I see the similarities. And I'm just glad we didn't get gypped, you know, on like, um, a bad bowl game this year, you know, because there's been times where, you know, sometimes you think you get you did you think you've done enough, you're gonna get a good bowl game. But hey, the committee, the committee was a little different back then. That BCS thing was wild. I know the college football playoff is wild, but I hope hopefully next year, you know, we'll get a true champion. I, I think it'll be a true champion for college football. Yeah, it's you know it's, the sport has changed in how we talk about bowl games since that happened, but. You know, Georgia's kind of experiencing what you guys did. And I know it's different circumstances because they're coming off the two-time national two-time defending right. national champs and all that stuff. Right. They're being even more more disrespectful. <laughs> but yeah, like you go into a conference championship, number one in the country. You're like, everything's in front of you. This is this is we're we're gonna go to a national championship, we're gonna play for. It. And I'm not saying that they counted their chickens before they hatched. Mm-hmm. But be honest, the motivation factor going into a bowl game when you lose out on that national championship path and mm-hmm. knowing Oh man, it this is this is not going to be what we thought it was in, mm-hmm. in this bowl game. It's got to be harder to get going for the next game. And I know you guys crushed Arkansas in the bowl game, so maybe this is you're the maybe you might be the wrong person to ask this to because you guys showed up plenty motivated, ready to go. But <laughs> right is there is there something to be said for the motivation thing, or do we make too big of a deal of that? No, I definitely think um, if you have a team where all these kids are going to the NFL, this like my team, like. Our Missouri team, I can't say that we just all, like, had this arrogance, like, we're all going pro, we're all getting drafted. It wasn't like six or seven of us was going first round. You know, now there were, you know, four or five first-round talents on that on those teams at Missouri. And let's see, myself, William Moore, um, Chase Daly didn't get drafted, but 
hell, he had the longest career. <laughs> um, Jeremy Macklin's first round pick, Ziggy Hood, first round pick, um, Chase Kaufman, Mackey Award winner, third round pick, didn't even work out for his, um, you know, coming out of um, for the draft and anything, still get drafted in the first round. So we're a talented team, but we were just so like, we're so upset that we just wanted to go kick somebody's butt, man. I think the SEC has kind of been spoiled. And they're like, oh, we're not playing for the – because I talked to Mike Johnson who played tackle at um, Alabama. He was drafted here with me in Atlanta in the third round. And 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 Mike's like, when Hawaii whooped up on them, he's like, man, whatever, bro. We, we're checked out. We're checked out. And that's what people are going to say, you know. But I always say anytime you get a chance to, to show who you are, why not go show who you are, man? If you don't want to play, don't play. Go train. Go get ready. But it shouldn't be any letdown if we step on this field because you never know which plays your last play, man. We got to go out here, put our best foot forward. And when I played against um, Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, and Peyton Hillis on that day, you can't tell me I didn't make money that day. Yeah. You can't tell me I didn't make – and I was just a sophomore. But you can't tell me I didn't do what I was supposed to do. We went out there, held them to like six points. Man, that was big for me. Playing against those backs, that let me know. Because coming into that, that sophomore year – you know, the freshman year, I'm pretty good. I want to play. I'm not playing. We're not that great. But our scout team, we were getting better. We were getting better and getting better. We knew we'd play together the next year. And so that next year, I stepped right in. I'm like, man, I'm all big league. I'm all league player. You know, and I didn't know that was going to happen. I went out there and gave it my best shot. And so the next year, shoot, man, I did the same thing. The next year, I did the same thing. And that, that put me in position to do the things that I wanted to do after Missouri. So I think my advice to these kids and coaches would be put your best foot forward or just, hey, you can you can just go study free finals, man, and just say, hey, it's a wrap. We don't want to play. You know, I wanted some bowl gifts. I wanted some, you know, we got <laughs> all my bowl games were in Texas. I'm a Texas kid. We drive home, we drive to the bowl game. We get money for the mileage. I mean, there's a lot of incentives. You know, these kids got the NIL deals now. So they may be, they may be thinking a little bit different the way we were thinking. But we were just wanting to put our best foot forward and help our ranking for the end of the season to help get some better players in there so we can keep it going. Chase Daniel seems like just such a fun guy to play with. Like he seems like the best. I loved him uh, as a Bears fan. Like, I loved him those those few seasons that he spent in Chicago. We're seeing him really shine in the media world now. What's the story about Chase that that you always kind of remember uh, that that kind of personifies who he is? Man, um, I think one of the coolest stories about Chase, and I just got a call from Jeremy Mack when he was just calling me. Um, you know, Chase was really big in getting J-Mac to school there. J-Mac was committed to um, to OU, man. He was going to play with those guys. He was going to play for the – he was going to win Big 12 championships and play in the national championship, right? So I think it says a lot about Chase and what he did to where he was able to sway Jeremy. And so when Jeremy came to summer school, Jeremy wasn't going to summer school. His, his summer school was – Chase's house and they were just locked in man so just seeing how locked in Chase was and how confident he was and um you know just he's just a team first guy a fiery guy a great player and a, and a teacher too so I, I remember him and Jeremy just sitting there going over plays here I am I'm like I know I ain't playing this year I'm thinking I'm a two 210 pound linebacker I'm like man I'm gonna be red shirted I'm not even worried about it Jeremy's coming in he's like I'm not I'm not coming here to red shirt I'm not Chase is like this is this is going to be, you know, our this this guy's going to put us on the stage, right? Chase knew it, and um, Chase was ready for the stage. And he, him and Jeremy, they really set the tone for, you know, Missouri having those accolades. I mean, I think Chase was up for the Heisman. Jeremy's up for the Bolitnikov. They, they put us on the stage, man. So kudos to Chase and Jeremy. Chase looking like DJ Drama right now with the big beard, wearing the um, snapback hats and stuff. Like when we went back to Missouri, I'm like, man, this dude look like a hip-hop star. And then you see him, you know, on, on um, NFL Network, 
having a great time, just excited, man. And he can really give you a different perspective because, I mean, he's been in so many meeting rooms and learned from so many different, you know, offensive minds. And, you know, he's been successful when he's been called upon. And just an overall, just a great guy, man. So, um, you know, kudos to Chase, man. But just his dedication to getting, you know, getting us ready to play. I saw him working with Jeremy as a freshman, just getting that guy ready, man. I'll never forget that. Yeah, there's a reason why the guy has been able to to hold a clipboard for so long. Everybody always brings up the amount of money per start and all these different <laughs> things. Like that guy wasn't liked. There's no way that he'd be getting these contracts and and be asked to c- come into these locker rooms. Uh, you you getting drafted by the Falcons it probably played a big part in, in what you're doing now in the Atlanta area. Obviously with like <laughs> with Legacy Sports Complex. Do you think that going to Atlanta, like at the time, did you think that was the most likely destination for you? Or did you think based on your pre-draft interviews, those conversations that you were going to end up somewhere else? Man, I, I really couldn't pinpoint it, but I will say that Arthur Blank was the only owner in the meeting. Hmm. He was the only owner in a meeting. And I, and I was the guy that you know, they wanted to talk to me. Like I had like 20 something official interviews, not only just going to the train station over there at the combine, talking to the position coaches and defensive coordinators and stuff. But like, I'm literally sitting in like, every team room and their whole their whole um, front office is right there just grilling you right but um during that process I was the one who was reaching out to Atlanta like in the media they talked to me what team do you feel comfortable I'm like I want to go to Atlanta I kept saying I want to go to Atlanta William Moore he left Missouri he came to Atlanta he was a second round pick and Mo didn't play much his first year so when they came to recruit me they were like hey we want to get get both of you guys out there, get both of you guys going, right? And so that was kind of a thing. I had played with him the past three, four years. So that that seemed like a great, a great fit for me. And so I kind of thought it would happen, but I didn't know. I was just kind of every chance I got, I would speak about Atlanta. Because I was born in Greenville, South Carolina. So I'm a I'm a guy that's, you know, from around these parts per se. Grew up in Texas my whole life, but I was born here in South Carolina, which is right up the street. Got a lot of family that's you know here in this area. And um it, it just felt like a place where I could go and um, being a 4-3 defense that was very similar to what I had already done at Missouri. And, um, you know, it seemed like a place, you know, I, I just love the energy of this city, man. It's just, they're going to make you earn it. If, you, if, you, if you're going to put together a subpar team and a subpar type of, you know, season, then that's what the crowd's going to be like. But if you come out there and you got your stuff together and you're getting after it and you're putting on for the city, then the city is going to be behind you. And then you have the faithfuls as well that are just going to always be there. But when you get that building rocking and you got a playoff game in there where you can't hear, the cornerback can't hear the linebacker, the linebacker got to run out outside the numbers to tell Asante Samuel that we're in cover too because we don't want to give away our hand signals. I mean, it's, it's just a different vibe, man. So coming here was the, the ideal place. I was talking to um, Devin McCourty um, here recently. Uh, we, we, um, we were at this trust event, the NFL trust event in D.C. And I was saying the only thing I envy – is not getting drafted by Bill Belichick. <laughs> like, yeah. Now I love I love Mike Smith. So detailed, such a um, you know, like a student of the game. But um, you know, he only got, let's see how five or six years here. But can you imagine if your coach has been here so long and the same system is the same? And like, you know, I put three, four different defensive coordinators and things like that. So that's the only kind of things, you know, you think about as a player, like just the continuity and schemes and um personnel. But, um, man, I wouldn't change it for the world, man. Just a great place, and I'm still here today, and this place is still still um, giving me what I need. Julio gets there in your second season. Mm-hmm. When that guy walks in the door, as a defensive player, how quickly do you know that he's just going to be that guy? Oh, my goodness. It's just his intent. 
his intent, man, like everything he did, like when he came off that ball, man, it was no, sh it was no sugar footing. I was going to say another word, man, <laughs> he was rolling everything full speed. Every And I look at myself on defense. They were trying to slow me down over there. Like, bro, chill, bro. You ain't got, I am running. Julio is running. And you have to go and play certain techniques on receivers. And you really get a chance to see, hold up. Oh, that's different, right? And so you know if you can go out there and go against these guys, a guy like Julio, Roddy White, Tony Gonzalez, Mike Turner, Matt Ryan being as accurate as he was, you knew that on Sundays you, you'd be ready to play anybody. And when you look at Julio, they called him the predator when he first got here. He had the dreads. I mean, the guy was just phenomenal. I think his first touchdown catch against um, Indianapolis up on the road was just one of those catches I'll never forget. I think his knees hit the ground before he caught the ball, but he's diving. And he makes the catch on the ground. The three defensive backs, Antoine Bethea, um, Gerard Powers, and I want to say one more. I can't remember. But they're like, oh, it's incomplete, incomplete. And you look on the Jumbotron and you see, like, the type of plays that this guy can make just day in and day out, man. The consistency, the hands, and never said a word. Julio, he just the quietest guy, fiery, though, know, just ready to go out there and win for his team. And he always had a lot to say about Coach Nick Saban. And I think he has some similarities there because he guaranteed under Nick Saban and who they both were under Don James and so that program was similar and we kind of knew you had to come and work it wasn't you were recruited here and you're gonna be no everything had to be earned and even though Julio was drafted as high as he was I mean he went he went about his business as if he was the last man on the roster so big ups to Julio what's the biggest thing that we don't understand looking at it from the outside uh, that you endured as, as an NFL player playing defense? How about in the NFL? What's the biggest kind of like overlooked thing for those who haven't been in the trenches like you? Ooh, I think the biggest overlooked thing just in ball period, I'll say defense because that's my perspective, but how many teams are really trying to win it? Mm. You literally could be on a team and you've, and you're looking at your off season moves you're looking at the guys you're standing next to. You're looking at the guys that are, you know, out there playing. That guys that you're leaning on, and you might be like, man, we, this ain't it, you know. <laughs> and there's not like some drastic thing that's gonna happen at the trade deadline, like where you're gonna just get a whole new team, you know. So, I mean, I can remember times where I just feel like, man, this is not it. We're not, I mean, we don't have a chance. And so, some of these teams, the fans, they get into it on Twitter about this, that, and the third, but. Sometimes you just don't stand a chance. And a playoff, you know, game is your Super Bowl. And be happy with that. So I think just, you know, from year to year, it's going to be different. But, man, it's so hard to win in that league. And when you see certain traits, you just know, like, man, we're going to have a hard time winning games. I think people, you know, they take that for granted, man. They they just think, like, last year we did good. Okay, we're going to be good this year. No, man, that thing changes every year and it just sucks to see your brothers go to other cities and guys not play anymore and guys get injured and those type of things the business part of it that's what they don't understand really hurts the mental of the players because we have to separate the business from our personal lives you know and we know that every move isn't always it seems like it's personal but it's not personal it's business and sometimes I think we can just get lost in that and that can kind of stress guys out but um I would just say fans please take it easy on the guys on Twitter these guys <laughs> these are these men's livelihood they love what they're doing they're trying the best they can give this better luck next week and maybe you know in the offseason your team will do some make some moves to make you feel better but hey the game's got to be played on the field
But what about if they lose out on one of their bets or it's their fantasy player or something like that? Don't you know what that that just that should open the door for them to be able to, to slide into the DMs and let a specific player know about that, right? Like that's that's I fine. Would, I, I'd say so, man. I, I, I might have tweeted Teddy Bridgewater on a fantasy um game <laughs> one night, you know, and like, but it's it's all fun, you know, not but to me, hey, they say if you not if you can't lose it, then don't bet it. That's true. That's a good point. But um, hey, if you do slide in the DMs, just just be be gentle with the guys, man. They got a lot on their plates. John, it's been uh, a lot of fun. I want to get you out here in some rapid fire. Just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work? Sweet, bro. All right. Uh, I think I know the answer to this question. Um, First one, though. Who was on the receiving end of your favorite tackle of your football career? Ooh, um, my favorite tackle, RG3. Oh. RG3. He was he was on the receiving end of that man. I won't say it's my favorite tackle because he was hurt or anything like that. It was just like when you get to run through someone's body unimpeded, that feeling is like hitting a golf ball down the fairway, three hundred and fifteen yards. So, and that's what I love to do, right? So, man, that was the hit where it's like, oh my goodness, that felt so great. So I got to say that's my favorite one right there. RG three, sorry, bro, but it's all love. He he did just fine. He's he's doing all right. He's got things he's, figured out. Yeah, he's crunk right now too. Yeah. He got some. Yeah, I like that. Uh, bench squat or deadlift? Squat, squat, man. You got to live in the squat rack, man. If you're gonna, especially if you're gonna do the job I did, you better have some some thump to you. Because one thing about me, um, I didn't always have to run full speed and try to hit a guy with all my might. I had a lot of power in my lower legs to where I could sit down low, and I could come off a block and still explode in a short in a short area. And I like to say, turn the cheeks. You got to turn cheeks when you make tackles, man. I don't see that a lot in the NFL today. And uh, maybe they don't want you to see that. But for me, squat rack all day. You had a 40-inch vertical coming out of uh, mm-hmm. of college. Can mm-hmm. you still dunk? And if so, do you just do that all the time? Because I would. Man, I can, I can still get up there and punch one. It's not the same. I'm not throwing it down. I can punch one, though. You know, I can just I can get it up there. So every now and then, if I'm at LA Fitness and somebody's just – they find that I played in the league and now here they they want to try some, you know, I might get a little revved up. It just depends on how the old the old 87 is feeling. <laughs> if the 87 is crunk up and feeling good, just came out of the sauna, stretched out, rolled out, hey man, I might try to punch one on you and just let you know, hey, it ain't sweet in here. <laughs> the old 87. I'm gonna refer to myself now whenever I do something athletic, the old 90, because that's that's the year I was born. That's that's what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, the old, the old 87, man, you gotta get it revved up. It all depends on that. Oh, God. Uh, all right. Mizzou fans used to chant, spoon. They used to say that whenever you make a big-time tackle, something like that. Mm-hmm. You've probably never been booed. Or at least if you have, you've never known it. Have you right. knowingly been booed before? Because I would Man, just think it's that. No, I definitely have never been booed. I think all my worst plays might have happened on the road. So, so, like, you know, other fans are probably cheering when I made a bad play. <laughs> That's true. But here – here in Atlanta, um, man, my now my parents, my mom always she was like, "What is? What are they saying? They booing my baby." <laughs> so that it happened in high school for the first time. Like I was, it wasn't football; it was in basketball. And so um, my athletic director, his kids, they would all like have their little spoons, and we 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 had a pretty good basketball team. I played the three, played some two a little bit, you know, handled the ball a little bit. But um, man, those kids were saying spoon while I make shoot my free throws and stuff. And so it, it when I got to Missouri. It kind of came out, you know, once that once we really got popping, it started to come out. 
And, uh, man, it's kind of cool, bro. I can't even lie, man. It's one of the coolest things. And um, I, I see it today here in the Dome. I was kind of, I was trying to figure out the other day at Mercedes-Benz, were they booing Coop or were they saying Coop? Because he did miss that field goal. But they were kind of – I think they might have been booing Arthur Smith's decision to go and kick the field goal. Yep. And that's what kind of sounded like they were booing Coop a little bit. And he missed it. I was like, oh, man. man. See, that would have never happened to me because mine happens after the play. You right. know, so – that's kind of sweet, but I had it. I had a little love there. Yeah, you're never going to miss a tackle, and then you're you're going to hear the boo birds from that. It's just going to be big time playing the backfield and smooth. Like that's that's the absolute best. I love it. Definitely, man. All right, last one for you. What is the best piece of advice that you give to a college athlete in, in the current landscape of NIL transfer portal, all those different that's things? Good. That's good. Um, it's not always greener on the other side. That's what I'll say because. A lot of these guys are very successful and they're putting their name in the portal. That's a smart move. It still may not be green on the other side, but if you don't have any tape and you're just kind of, you know, upset at your situation or you're not getting the opportunity, man, hey, wait your turn, man. I I, I ran down on special teams my first year, burned my red shirt for to run down on kickoff. You know, it has to be, it has to mean something to you. So if you stick around there, learn that scheme, keep working hard, your opportunity is going to come, make the most of it. If it doesn't come, hey, we're all going to go pro in something. That's what they say. That's true. That's like straight out of the NCAA commercial right there. That was it. Oh, man. Uh, this has been great. Everyone in the Atlanta area looking for basically any type of training, uh, check out Legacy Sports Complex. Awesome right. stuff that you're doing with it. Good luck to you and good luck to your Tigers in the bowl season. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Great energy, man. Keep up the great work. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Lad of the week, I'm going to go to a painful place, a very, very painful place for my lad of the week. I'm going to go with Joe Flacco. Um, look, we've had we've had a lot of backup quarterbacks in lad of the week because there are just some really cool backup quarterback stories this year in the NFL with all the injuries. If we had uh, if we'd recorded after Monday Night Football last week, Tommy DeVito would have been a lock for lad of the week. Maybe his dad, mm-hmm. maybe his agent. I don't know, but people probably heard enough about him but yeah this week 48 no he's not 48 joseph vincent flacco is 38 years old not 48 feels like he's 48 with the way that he moves outside of the pocket i'm not better could have fooled me yeah um yeah man uh 38 is the new 28 and uh doesn't matter because whoever it is is just going to find a way to beat the bears of course the last remaining playoff hopes that my team had uh up in smoke thanks to a 38 year old that wasn't tom brady or anything like that he wasn't even that great but he was good down the stretch. He really was leaving life at home as a 38 year old with five kids and stepping in and just beating the Jags and then beating the bears to keep the Browns playoff hope alive. I look, he's, pro- he's going to play in a playoff game for the first time in nine years. It's, it's going to happen. Another dominant defense that he gets to work with. I'm happy for the guy. I'm really happy. I'm just not happy. I'm just sad because how in the world does Darnell Mooney not catch that football? Well, how in the world is that sitting there on a Hail Mary and his job as someone who makes millions of dollars is sitting in the end zone waiting for that football to drop the exact way that it did and he's pretended like he had, it was like he was stunned to see the football. Stunned to see the football Darnell Mooney was. It's not about him. It's about giving credit to Joe Flacco and him having a great moment for a guy that has made a lot of money. And I salute because he's doing stuff very, very well. And my team does not do things very, very well. And that is where we're at, where I'm jealous of a Browns team with a 38-year-old quarterback.
quarterback. Yeah, I mean, uh, quarterback play in the NFL, like we, I always joke about, it, it's just never been worse. And yeah, I mean, Mooney, I think, had a similar play against the Saints in the uh, notorious uh, uh, MVP Nickelodeon game. I actually think he actually, which, I think if I remember correctly, you guys should have beaten us in that game, but he had the exact same play happen. And I just remember being like, oh, he was wide open on like a, on a, a post route. And he like dropped the ball going forward. And I just remember like, I don't, just don't trust that guy. It was like a very weird little, like, I don't, I'm out. I was like a, a, a dad. I was like, I ah, can't butterfinger. So it's, it's wild to see that happen again. And my, my dumb little theory uh, proved right. But yeah, I mean, it's anybody's league and on Sundays, which uh, sometimes is not a great thing. No, it's bad. It's really bad. But what are you going to do? Football's stupid outside of college football. NFL football is just dumb. Nobody should watch it. Everybody should just watch college football. That's what I always say. Listen, yes. the Our teams being bad is why we hate the NFL. <laughs> Let's be clear here. If they were good, we'd be like, the NFL is better than ever. Um. Speaking of old quarterbacks, and a quarterback that is actually four years younger than Joe Flacco, this will blow your mind, Cam Newton. Um, Cam Newton is my lad of the week. Now, Cam Newton is a guy who has, especially more recently, gotten, you know, not great press clippings. He's a guy who's been, um, you know, a little bit bold and brass, done some done some stuff that uh, just kind of like in front of a microphone that's just not very classy. Um, but I will say he had like a 10-minute video that he posted in response to like some criticism. So this all wraps around. He was talking about how we only have about five quarterbacks who are game changers in the league right now. And of course, like the economy of takes, everyone was so mad at that because they wanted to talk about a great Brock Purdy was, you know, like that, that like goes down to earlier in this segment or earlier in this podcast, you're like, Oh yeah. Like we got to stop talking about, you know, national signing day. And it's like people like us have that option, but we could just say, we don't care about this, but there's a whole economy around recruiting that is always going to make recruiting the thing. Well, just like that, there's a whole economy around the NFL and quarterback play where you got to boost up, you know, Dak Prescott, uh, Brock Purdy, all these game managers that are playing well and their teams are playing well because you have to have content. And Cam Newton came at it from a different perspective. He was like, we just got a ton of game managers in the league. So this clip he puts out this week is starts with a highlight of everyone just calling him kind of dumb and unqualified. And his point was, you know, you can attack my point of view without attacking me as a person. And basically his point was, it's wild that because I type in hieroglyphics and I'm wearing a funny hat that you guys don't see that I've been him, that I've done these things before, that I've been a game changer. And by whatever definition of game changer Cam Newton was in, especially in 2015, he was backpacking Philly Brown and those boys, the Super Bowl with only, you know, third leg Greg as his best receiving option. Um, and, and he kind of goes through Hey, you know, it's it's the other side of an argument that we've talked about a lot that we actually just had a version of where it's um, we've gone the other way in sports media where a bunch of people that are kind of like stats based, like PFF, kind of like number cruncher guys kind of own the conversation now so much so that if you're a guy like Cam Newton, you know, it's almost like uh, Desmond Howard speaking on the Heisman. It's like no matter what you have to say about Desmond Howard. Desmond Howard is a Heisman winner. You know, he has been there. He has been in big games. He has done that, that type of stuff. And so you can say, oh, you know, I don't respect your opinion just because you played, which is exactly how I feel. That is a big time, like Ryan Rosillo school of thought. Like just because you played doesn't mean you get to coast. But Cam's point was, how, how can you take away with what I've done because of how I present myself? 
And just just a cool little moment from him talking about like, let me remind you all really quick, like just because I'm goofy, just because I make jokes, just because I smile really big does not mean that I was not a terror on the football field. And it's just cool, man. I'm, I'm loving to see what Cam has done in the final part of his career. Um, he has a cigar bar here in Atlanta or there back home in Atlanta called uh, Fellowships. Really cool. We've shot there before. Him and Cecil, funny enough, opened it up. But it, it's cool to have someone look in the camera and say, like, I'm proud of who I am. I've done what I've done. I don't need all this accolades and all, all this, this stuff from people who are trying to stay relevant based off of people who do what I do. So, and, and the cool thing that he, he snuck around to is that he has an LLC, he has a podcast, he has all this stuff going on and he was preaching, you know, pay it forward and independent media and, and building your own brand versus relying on, you know, a big network and stuff like that and trying to give people opportunities. So I think that's a cool way to look at it. instead of like tearing people down instead of saying, Oh, look at Cam, he looks ridiculous. Like, value think about what a person's saying and don't immediately judge them like we could have you know i'm not gonna name any you know what yeah i will let's say darren Ravel just comes out and has the most amazing college football take ever our first thought is gonna be well that's you know let's raise an eyebrow but then you know you gotta think about it and say you know sometimes you know we have to evaluate that based on what is said and not who said it um which i understand it's all part of the context but i think i think cam's kind of like speech this week was super cool because he was just talking about like you know, if nothing else, view me as your equal. View me as a person who you don't roll your eyes whenever I talk. And it's funny that Cam, through being different and not be, and marching to the beat of his own drum, has gotten tuned out by people despite what he accomplished and how he has been a franchise changer kind of at every level, you know? There are no people on earth who think that Cam was in the game manager category, right? Like, that's not a nope. thing, right? <laughs> Okay. No, just they were just calling sure. him silly and saying he dresses weird and that he just doesn't know what he's talking about. And he was like, I'm not, I'm serious. I'm not unserious. Facts. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, like Cam does that stuff in part because, okay, like he's expressing himself. And when you're doing stuff that's very outside of the norm, people are going to comment on why you have Instagram posts that are in total hieroglyphics and nobody mm -hmm. has any idea what in the world you're trying to say. And if you're doing that, okay, that's fine. That's, you're perfectly within your rights. People are also going to, like okay it's just a little bit strange whatever like there there's also a line of like and, and look i i'm i've consumed a little bit of cam content lately and seen some of the stuff that he was doing he was on part of my take recently and, and i know he mm -hmm. and brandon marshall are, are doing that tour together right now and i i find myself rooting for cam i've always kind of found myself rooting for cam without any sort of affiliation to him uh there are certain things he says and does that are just going to be considered different and weird mm -hmm. because we're just not used to seeing them so like there's there is a line of like all right well what's what's weird and what's he putting out there into the world and what's what's being like you know if, if you're sitting there saying cam doesn't have the right to speak on football because he types in hieroglyphics all right that's that's a you thing that's not a cam thing but yeah mm -hmm. i mean he is a he is a different dude but a game changer in every sense of the word and a game changer in media he probably will be in the very near future uh as well mm -hmm. as he continues to grow his platform right now good stuff quarterback centric very quarterback centric today love it love it um we have our first episode of betting the bulls is already up the second episode the four non-playoff new year six episodes that is going to drop on wednesday maybe by the time you're listening to this it's already there as well marler myself our sports our sports betting expert from sports betting dime and crossing broad bob Wankel. He is awesome. It was a great first episode. It's like a two-hour first episode with a lot of gambling insight, um, talking about all those other Power 5 games. 
We are going to have these episodes once a week throughout bowl season. It's just these are bonus episodes. You don't have to do anything additional. You don't have to subscribe or, or, or anything like that. They're just going to be there in your feed. We're still going to have all of our normal episodes on top of that. We're going to preview a bowl game later in the week. Well, we're going to be able yeah, to. Pre- oh, no, actually, we're going to wait till next week. We're going to wait till next week to preview A&M, and then we're really going to get into the thick of it. Uh, so that's what we're I was doing. getting excited, but, dog. Yeah, I thought so we had some content. random bowl game we was going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll hold off on that. We'll hold off on that. Just uh, and, and just wait until until next week. If mm-hmm. you have not, leave us a five star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app, formerly known as Twitter at the SES Pod, at Set Down South, at CJ Okura, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.